What are some what are some milestones? Let's just say like in general. So let's not go necessarily spiritual. Let's just say like in people's lives general. High school graduation, college, marriage, first job, driver's license, and having a baby, yes. Okay, so of those things, and I heard a few others, but those are those are ones I heard pretty much right away. Now now, how many people, how many know how old I am? 29. Close, 29. 29, I'm 29 years old. And, and I want you to know, I want you to just think about this, okay? I want you to think about this. Of those things that you yelled out, most of them, besides Scott saying getting old, <laughs> the six milestones that we thought of pretty quickly, they all happened to me before I turned 30 years old. So young people have an intense responsibility to set your life on the right course. Because those milestones that you named, the most defining moments of life, happen when you are very young. They happen when you are very young. And whether or not those things happen and the conditions under which they happen will completely set the course for your life. So it matters. Being young and doing things right matters. It's not that being young doesn't matter and that you can get away with doing whatever you want to do. It is, in fact, the opposite. Because you're setting up yourself for a lifetime of decisions based on how you get through those first 30 years of your life. Because I've realized in over this past week of being a dad and thinking a lot about being a dad and what it means for my child and what it means for my life and for my home is that I have come through all of those milestones that you said. I've come through them and at, I see it pretty much every one of them. There was opportunity for something to go incredibly wrong. And for me to miss out on what God had for my life. And so being young is incredibly important. And it's important for young people to be intentional with their life. To be intentional with the things that they invest in and the things that they put their time into. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. And it comes from a week of being a dad. A week of introspection, a week of having literally your world turn upside down. My house feels completely 
different. It looks different. It smells different. It feels different. I've seen different hours of the night that I haven't seen since the lock-in. My world is completely upside down and it's completely different. And I said this, the comment, my parents were there and I just said, life looks completely different. My home looks different. It doesn't, I'm not really, but just something about it is different. And my dad recognized it immediately and he says, you're seeing the world through the eyes of a dad. The eyes of a dad. It, it changes everything. And Sister Nikki made this comment to me. She said, you know, because contrary to popular belief, we're not that old. We really aren't. Not even middle-aged. And yet we've had, we have a, a child. And I am not, so when you get married, when you're dating people, that's, you never think about what kind of parent they're going to be. Because it really doesn't matter when you're a young person. Right, and you're at camp or whatever, and you're dating people, and you're liking people, and you have a crush. You don't. It's, it would be. It would actually just, to be honest, it would be kind of creepy, right? If that was kind of your first thought, like I wonder what kind of parent they're going to be. It would. It would seem. It's kind of counterintuitive, but when you stop and realize when you're holding a child, and all of your hopes and dreams for that child is so dependent upon that other parent, because you know that. That parent, so I know that Sister Nikki is going to have a profound impact on the life of my daughter. I know that it's going to be uh, completely, really unimaginable the kind of impact that she's going to have on Sage's life. So it mattered who I married. It didn't just matter for me. It mattered for my children. And it's hard to think about when you are this age, it's hard to think about it, but you're not that far away from having to think about those kind of decisions because life happens faster than you think. Life is weighted toward young people. Life is put more toward young people. Your life decisions are weighted in the first 30 years of your life more than the last 30 years of your life. They're weighted with heavier, weightier decisions. And so you've got to navigate things very, very carefully. And my argument would be is that you have to have the help of the Lord in order to navigate them effectively. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, Hebrews. How many have been reading the book of Hebrews? Did you get it done? You should have plenty of time. How many have got the book done? How many haven't even started? All right, well, you got time. Sunday, we're going to end it and start a new book, Word Before World, Hebrews, chapter number 13, and we're going to look down at verse number 9, and we're going to read a couple of verses, maybe through verse number 12 or so. It's deep theology, but we're, don't worry, we're not going to get too deep tonight. We're not going to get into too deep of theology, but it is deep theology here in Hebrews chapter number 13, verse number 9 says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. Divers just means different. Different and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, meaning sacrifice. So this is specifically talking about animal sacrifice. 
which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And then verse number 10 is where I'm going to draw my title tonight. It says, we have an altar whereof they have not right, no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now, I know that's going to be kind of uh, obscure meaning right now, but I want you to pay attention to the you have no right. They have no right to the altar. So at the very surface level, without getting too deep into it, this is, of course, talking about the Jewish tradition of offering sacrifices and how the, Jesus did away with that because he was the ultimate sacrifice. So without getting too deep into all of that theology, I just want you to pay attention that we have an altar and they have no right. We have an altar and they have no right to that altar. So my title tonight is Two Altars. Two Altars. Because in life, there are primarily, in my opinion, there are two altars. It's a pretty basic sermon tonight. There are two altars in your life. And if you sacrifice, you have a right to eat of the altar. Now, the background is that when you brought a sacrifice to the altar, when you brought that sacrifice to the temple, the priest would it sounds really gruesome, you know, like animal sacrifice. It was a ritual dinner, except the food was alive when you started the process, which is how you would cook meat anywhere. So it wasn't like some bizarre, grotesque, you know, people, if you go to college, they'll kind of rip apart the Bible. It's a bloody religion. All with, How else do you think they ate? They had to kill their farm animals. We did that in this country up until just a few years ago when you stopped seeing the slaughter of the cow that you eat. You buy it at the store, but somebody had to kill it. So that's basically all it was, is it was a ritual dinner. You would bring your sacrifice, and it would be killed, and there was a certain way that you would drain the blood, and that you would discard of the organs that were not safe to eat. The, the Lord called them unclean, but really experts go back and say, well, it would have given you diseases if you would have eaten them. So like the Lord knew what he was talking about. So you couldn't eat the, the bowels or the certain parts of the animal were unclean. So you would burn those and then you would sacrifice and you, they would roast the meat on the altar with the flame. And the priest would, that offered the sacrifice would get to eat of the altar. And then the family that brought it would take what was left and they would eat of the altar. And it was a ritual sacrifice unto the Lord and kind of a celebration of the fact that your sins were remitted for a season, that they were pushed back. And so there were different altars for different times and different things, but that's basically what it was. It was a kind of a ritual dinner time. And so you could not eat of the sacrifice if you were not involved in it. If you were not the priest that was offering it, and if you were not the family that was bringing it. It was not a general potluck. It was something that was specific to that altar, to that time, 
for that sacrifice, for that trespass, to forgive those sins, that blood was shed. And if you were involved, then you could eat of that altar. So the writer of Hebrews is pulling from that story, which would have been in the minds of the Hebrews, because that's who he was writing to, and they were steeped in this sacrificial culture. And so he was comparing the Christian walk with this kind of altar ceremony. He was comparing this Christian walk with this moment at the altar. And he was saying that we, contrary to what you may think, actually do have an altar. Even though we no longer offer a burnt sacrifice and shed blood, we actually do have an altar. And just like the physical altar in the tabernacle, we have an altar that nobody else has a right to. Two, unless they are partaking in the sacrifice. So just like you could not walk into the temple without a sacrifice and expect to eat something, you cannot walk into the kingdom of God without a sacrifice and expect to eat at the Lord's table. Now he's talking, of course, about the Jews. He's talking about that there were some people that wanted to have it both ways. There, now it's foreign to our culture, but I'm going to bring it home because I think the attitude and the spirit is still there. But this attitude that they could be a Jew and a Christian, that they could still kind of please the religious and political organizations of the day and they could offer sacrifice but then they could claim that they were followers of Jesus and they could become partakers with him in the new birth and the writer of Hebrews was saying that there, there's two separate complete altars and if you offer on one then you have a right to all the blessings that that altar has to offer but if you offer on the other then you have no right to the other if you, you have to choose which altar you will sacrifice on and which altar you choose, then you have a right to that altar. You have a right to partake of what you have brought a sacrifice to. So without a sacrifice, there are no rights to the altar. You don't have a right to the altar. Now we see this playing out across our culture at large today that people expect a right. They have rights and they say they want a right. And that in some ways that is very important. We have human rights and we have inalienable rights that our country was founded on. But more important than rights and what the Bible recognizes is responsibility. Even more important than what you can get, it's what are you responsible for? What are you bringing to the table? What are you offering before you can receive you have to bring? I think that's the principle that's being taught here. And I think that we can see that playing out in your life and in my life. That the greatest achievements and the greatest meaning to your life is not when you receive something. What does the Bible say? It is more blessed to give rather than to receive. Now we think that this like you get to give somebody uh, a gift and you get to see them light up and that's more of a blessing. But I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. I think that the greatest things in life are not just the gifts that you get unwarranted. But it's the things that you gain through sacrifice that have the most value. Why do you value a first place trophy? 
Why do you value a first place trophy? Because hopefully the competition was stiff. And because you had to put in work. And because not everybody got first place. And because you didn't just get first place for showing up, but you actually had to work for it. That you actually overcame. So you, I mean, how many have ever gotten a participation trophy? Did it mean something to you? No. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like, oh, thanks, you know, right? You got that. But it just, like, I remember when I was a Bible quizzer, I got a participation trophy for being at nationals. Now, we lost both quizzes bad. We sat up there. I didn't even hit the buzzer. My, my friend was a better quizzer, so he hit the buzzer a couple times, but even he couldn't keep us in the game. We were slaughtered for two quizzes. And then they called us up after we were humiliated, you know, 100 to 3 or whatever. I don't think you can get three points in quizzing, but you get the gist. You know, it was 100 to 150 to nothing or whatever. And so they parade us up there after we had already been humiliated, and then they give us a trophy. And it said, nationals. That's all it said. It was nationals, right? It just, and you know what? I, didn't, I kept that trophy, but every time I looked at it, I didn't get any pride from it. You know what I got more pride for, from? Was when I was, when I was a junior quizzer at my very first quiz, and I got the little second place ribbon for the quiz. You know what I mean? Like, you get second highest score for the quiz. Now, that was at the first tournament in junior Bible quizzing. But you know, I had learned my verses. I had put in the time. I was a first-year Bible quizzer, and I was nervous, but I overcame my fear. I hit the buzzer before the other teammates, and I answered, and I got it correct, and I got a little ribbon. Now, in the, in the grand scheme of things, the first tournament at junior Bible quizzing is not as important as nationals in senior Bible quizzing, right? The competition is more stiff and all that. But the fact that I had earned something, that I had brought a little bit of sacrifice to the table, made what I received, instead of kind of slacking on my verses and playing video games instead of learning all my material and really not studying and really just kind of being a little bit about it. And then there I go to nationals and they're like, trophy. And I'm like, this is meaningless. Smile for the camera. You know what I mean? It's like pointless. Right? So you're just like smiling for no reason because you don't, it doesn't really matter to you. Because it, I was given an award. I was given a gift. But why did it not matter? Because I was receiving without having given. I was receiving something that I didn't work for. And so it didn't matter to me. Because I knew in my heart I had not put in the time and I had not put in the sacrifice to receive any kind of reward. So all I had to do was ride the van and eat to stay alive. And I was pretty good at that. But so was everybody else. So it didn't matter. Right? It was just I was just... You, you rode the van and you were breathing. Here you go. You didn't even hit the buzzer, but, you know, ah, prize. And I set it on my shelf, but it didn't, it didn't matter to me. It didn't mean anything because I didn't earn it. It was not that kind of sacrifice. I didn't bring anything to the table. I think you can, you, you know, you can feel like you got away with something for a while. You got something free. You cheated on a test or you know, you, you kind of you lucked into something. But before long, you want to actually achieve something. And the older that you get, you actually want to be good at something. You actually want to have a skill. Let me just tell you, I've lived just a few more years than you. And, and as you don't want to grow up having everything given to you. It's really nice when mom buys you a nice present. But at some point, it's really you want your parents to stop buying stuff for you. To some degree. You don't want to be living with mom when you're 30 years old and she's paying for everything. 
at some point there's a little bit of pride that comes in, and not like ungodly pride, but like that kind of just growing up naturally and saying, I want to stand on my own two feet. I want to have something that's mine that I've put a time and sacrifice into and that I've worked for. Because before long, just receiving gets very, very, very old. And so the Lord is the same way because He designed us. And yes, the gift of the Holy Ghost is a free gift from God, but He does not give it to everyone. He does not pass out a participation trophy for being born, for living on this earth, but it is a gift that is only given to people who are willing to sacrifice at an altar. It's not, you're so more blessed to give than to receive. I'll say, well, the Holy Ghost is the greatest gift you could ever get. True. But the way that you get it is to give your life. So it's more blessed to give. Then you receive. And what you get, you understand its value and its importance. Because God did not drop the Holy Ghost on you while you were playing video games. But you got the Holy Ghost at an altar when you had given your life to Him. And poured out everything before Him. And then you understand what I have is valuable because I had to give something up to get it. Because I had to work the hard work of repentance and going through and thinking about my life and where I want my life to go and what I want my life to do. Because the only sacrifice that you have to give to a God that has everything. You cannot bring money. You cannot bring talent. You cannot bring your ability. The only thing that you can give is your whole life. A living sacrifice, which is pleasing to God. That's the only thing that you can give, is your whole life. So you cannot offer it on two altars. You cannot offer your life on the altar of the world and do what the world says to do and then expect to reap the benefits of the church and of the kingdom of God. You cannot say, I'm going to fit in and I'm going to be cool and I'm going to be hip and I'm going to have all of these friends that think I'm so cool, but then I'm going to walk into church and I'm going to be the spiritual one and I'm going to be the one that worships and I'm going to be the one that's used and I'm going to be the one that sings and I'm going to be the one that plays and I'm going to be the one that everybody thinks is so cool in this circle eventually you're going to have to choose an altar because it's going to come out where you have been sacrificing. It's going to come out what you have been putting on your altar. It's going to come out. And where you sacrifice is where you have the right to receive. So if you are sacrificing, the Bible says if you pray secretly, the Lord will reward you openly. If you are sacrificing... If you are putting in the time in prayer and reading your Bible and fasting and putting in the effort to live a holy life when nobody is looking, then the Lord will begin to reward you openly. And that reward will be meaningful to you and it will not destroy you because you have put in the time and you understand. You look at these people that that preach great conferences. And they got there one of two ways. Either they put in the time And they're there because God anointed them and God uses them or they found another way. But eventually. That finds you out. That's why you can see people that are so famous and popular, even even in church worlds that don't make it living for God. Because you can there's two altars in life and where you're sacrificing will eventually find you out. Where you're sacrificing will eventually catch up with you. 
because it's only the last and it's only meaningful because you have no right to the things of God if you're not sacrificing on his altar. You have no right to the things of God if you are sacrificing on the world's altar throughout the week and then come in and think you have a right to the power of the Holy Ghost. Think you have a right to be used by God. Think you have a right to lift your hands and just feel the Spirit one more time. If you have cut off the sacrifice, you have no right to the gifts. You have no right to the blessings of God. It will dry up in your life. But if you alter on the right sacrifice, on the right, if you sacrifice on the right altar, if you pour your life out in the things that matter, in the things that are eternal, in the things that last, then you have a right to what God has to give. Because each altar comes with things that you have a right to. You have a right to. And so the, the negative side of that is that there are things on the world's altar that you will have no right to. There are things on the world's altar that you as a child of God have no right doing, have no right being involved in, have no right going to. There's going to be parties. There's going to be events. There's going to be places that you have no right to be there. You have no right to be there. You don't have a right to be involved in certain things. You don't have a right to do certain things because God's called you. And you're going to have to walk away from some things. And you know what? Those things, like I said at the beginning, your life is weighted in the young years. Your life is very heavily weighted. And in those first few years, you can be tricked into thinking that what the world has to offer is what you really want. But you know why crime drops off when people get old? It's not just because they die. Prison is full of old people. But they got there when they were young. You know, if you can just get somebody to a certain age without having committed a felony or having a child out of wedlock, or totally wrecking their life on drugs. You know what? They're pretty much stable individuals that pretty much go on. But you've got to get them to a certain point. Because there's a time of deception where you think that the things that the world has on its altar are worth sacrificing for. So you spend your best years of your life sacrificing on the world's altar. And then when it comes time to reap, you reap what you sow. You can't go back and look at your crop and say, I am I'm reaped divorce in my life. I reaped addiction in my life. I reaped dysfunction in my life. I put that into my family. And now I want something else. But the planting season has passed. You didn't sacrifice when it was time to plant. You didn't go out into the field and buy the expensive seed and pour it out and cultivate it and water it. But you chose the different altar to prepare your sacrifice and to kill it on and to give your time there. So when it comes time to stand before the Lord and say, God, I want you to bless my family. He says, you have no right to my blessing. You have no right to your birthright because you gave it away like Esau. Father, he came to his father and said, bless me instead. Said, son, I've already given it away. You have no right to it. It was yours, but you gave it away. Because the Bible says he despised it. Because he made a sacrifice on the wrong altar. Because when he was young, when he was immature, when he was unexperienced, he thought that right here, right now, 
I want, to, I want this, what I want right now. And I'm willing to sacrifice for it. I'm willing to sacrifice my reputation. I'm willing to sacrifice my future. I'm willing to sacrifice everything right here at this altar because it's worth it. Only to find out it was not worth it. But by then you have no right. You have no right to it. Stand with me. I know we've got to go. And I want... I want, you, I want the music to come just real quickly. And here's, here's what I want us to do. I want you to close your eyes tonight. And I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about what you have been involved in, what things you have done. And I want you to ask yourself, what altar have I been sacrificing on? What altar have I been sacrificing on? I'm not going to end in a big altar call tonight because I know we've got to go. But I just, I want you to think about that. I want you to contemplate that. Because let me just tell you, as somebody that, I haven't lived that much longer than you, but I've lived through a lot more of those life experiences that you said. Graduated. And I've graduated again. And I've graduated again. And I've gotten married. And I've had a child. All these different things. They happen so fast. I'm not that much older than you. But I've gone through all of those different things. And in every one of those things, I saw how the hand of God had to intervene in my life. Or I would have made the wrong decision. Because there were times when I was caught myself sacrificing on the wrong altar. Putting my time, my energy, my effort on the wrong things. So if you want the blessings of God in your life later on down the road, if you want God to bless your family, if you want to raise yourself out of the current conditions that you're in, or build a life of stability and blessing, and ultimately make it to heaven, which is the greatest reward, you're going to have to ask yourself, what altar am I going to sacrifice on? Every day build an altar and say God I give you my life today I give you my mistakes I give you the, my setbacks I give you my hopes my dreams, my ambitions I lay it down at your altar and I give my life as a living sacrifice I wonder if you could just lift your hands right where you are and let's begin to pray God I pray for this group right here. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help them, Lord, to make the sacrifice at the right altar. God, that they would not be caught up or distracted by the lies of this world that says it's okay to sacrifice for the things now, to gain the rewards now, to gain the popularity or the fun or whatever it may be now. But God, I pray that these young people would begin to invest their life in the things that are eternal. I pray, Lord God, that they would begin to invest their time, their energy, their efforts, Lord, in the things that are everlasting, God, so that when it comes to that day, Lord, when they're calling out to you, Lord, and they're asking you to bless their life, and their life is, is in shambles, and they're calling out to you, God, I pray, Lord, that they will have a right to your altar, 
I pray, God, that they will have built some things, Lord, that they can fall back on and say, I know who in whom I believed and I am persuaded. Lord, I pray that they would find that private place in their, in, of prayer in their life to begin to build an altar pleasing and acceptable unto you. Help us, God, as a youth group, Lord. We want to have a culture. We want to have a culture, God, of sincerity of young people that are sincerely seeking you that are making sacrifices for you so that you can reward us with your blessing and your power and God we love you we lift you up and we give you praise in Jesus name so this week is a challenge day I want you to see those two altars in your heart say what am I going to sacrifice for today because you're going to make a sacrifice every day every day you're going to make a sacrifice you're either going to sacrifice for the things of this world or you're going to sacrifice for the things of God at the cost of the other they are connected John the Baptist said it I must decrease that he must increase they're connected you're going to sacrifice you're going to sacrifice God's call on your life you're going to sacrifice God's blessing you're going to sacrifice your salvation to pursue the things of the world so really in the weight of it it's not any the light of eternity it's not really that big of a sacrifice but it feels like it right now so I want you to go with that in your heart and this week I want you to ask yourself what am I willing to sacrifice? Because I want to write to what's on God's altar. Amen? All right. We love y'all. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Have a good week. This has been an episode of Axiom Youth Student Ministries. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed, and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you for tuning in.